0: morning Um, scripture reading this morning is from luke chapter 15 um, starting at verse 11 through till 32 the end of the chapter Um, it's the story the parable of the prodigal son the he at the beginning of this is jesus and he said there is a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father Give me the share sorry, give me the share of property that is coming to me. and he divided the property among them. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took it to, on a journey to a, into a far country. and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And then he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he could hear music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. "'And your father has killed the fattened calf "'because he received him back safe and sound. "'But he was angry and refused to go in. "'His father came out and entreated him, "'and the father entreated him, "'but but he answered his father, "'Look, these many years I have served you, "'and I have never disobeyed your command, "'and yet you have never given me a young goat "'that I might celebrate with my friends.' But when this son of yours come, came, sorry, uh, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But this is fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So word of the Lord.
1: Last week, we ended our, well, it was kind of through the sermon, the question, do you want to know Jesus? Uh, the, the idea I was putting before you was that there's all kinds of things in the religious life that we think are important. Um, and yet, it's interesting as a minister, I don't, it's not always the first thing that I hear from people that what they long for is to know Jesus more. It's, it's most often more immediate things, you know, in our lives, stuff, stuff in our family or work or some of the absences we feel. And so as we start this two-week look at the story of the prodigal son, so titled, maybe should be called the story of the loving father instead. The titles aren't in scripture. Um, I want you to kind of hold that question in your head. Do I want to know Jesus Christ? It's interesting. I was listening to uh, one of my more favorite musicians, um, and this was from a few years ago. He's one of these musicians that almost every album seems to be a live album because that's where he's at his best. And uh, and one of the songs, and they're typically like eight, nine, thirteen minutes long. Lots of instrumental stuff. It the the lengthy intro over and over again. He just kept saying, and this is not someone who identifies as a Christian. He kept saying, I want to believe in Jesus. I want to believe in Jesus. It's possible as you look at people around you, people who would not maintain or subscribe to a Christian faith, that some of them would say that same thing, even as they announce or proclaim kind of disbelief. And sometimes religious communities can think, like, why don't more people believe? It is possible that some people would like to. In fact, Old Christian writers, spiritual writers say this is the beginning of faith. The desire to believe. So we're going to look at this story within this frame of Jesus Christ moving to the cross. And that's the kind of posture I want us to be in, or mindset, that this this season of Lent, we have all the things that are going on in our lives. I'm really happy that the spring... Appears to be here because it 's just much easier to ride your bike not in snow and i 'm excited about all the things that spring brings but I pray in my mind that I will be reflecting that as i 'm taking up all the activities of my life Jesus Christ is heading towards the cross it helps to not not only remember that this was done once for all but in a sense to consider what does it mean that as we are living our lives Jesus is heading to this place of sacrifice. This is Greek on the screen. Um, I don't know how many can read that. I can't, actually. I'm not a very good Greek student. Keith can read more of it than I can, but that's not much. Uh, in Christian theology, the history of Christian theology, the kind of things that you guys take for granted, we, you know, God became flesh in Jesus Christ, you could look and say, well, that's obvious, that's in Scripture. But it took many, many people speaking through many, many years to kind of, Uh, flush out some of this theology as early as the second century so 100 and whatever the church was really beginning to to draw out this idea that god became flesh so you have here in these greek terms greek being the language of the new testament god appearing as a man god in the flesh and then a concept like the blood of god What does the blood of God mean? Is it only metaphor? How could an eternal being have flesh and blood? And then Latin. Somebody can read that. It's a little bit easier, but you can't really get it, can you? It's incomprehensible. I think it says that in there. Oh, yeah, you can kind of of see that. And how about that one? So you can leave here this this afternoon after we're done and you can say i learned greek and latin but you didn't really you saw it it's different so this is now later on iranius outlining these principles the invisible was made visible and the incomprehensible comprehensible and the impassible passable now this is christian theology at its best being worked out so that by the time you came along, people just said, well, God became flesh. Here's what this means here. But take a, take those two words. The impassible became passable. What does that mean? It means that the God of all eternity who by definition, if that's God, would seem to not be able to suffer, right? How could God suffer? That's what that those two words mean. The impassable passable. The one who we can't comprehend whatever suffer suffered and then this beautiful a little bit wordy but just beautiful this is the second longer latin portion creation shudders and astonished says how pray can this new mystery be the judge is judged and has been put to rest the invisible is seen and does not blush the incomprehensible is comprehended and does not consider it improper. The immeasurable is measured and does not resist. And then we pick up that idea that I mentioned. The impassable suffers and does not take revenge. The immortal dies and says no word in reply. The question that this is answering is how far does God go and theology goes to great lengths many brilliant people through years and centuries speaking taking the text arguing with one another coming to different conclusions with the Christian church following this particular thread how far does God go so I can give you those theological explanations I don't know how much you like them They're necessary and they're good. So I don't put one against the other, but Jesus tells a story. And if you listen, you'll hear some of these same themes. The question how far does God go from his own identity, from his status? So in the the story of the prodigal son, as I say, perhaps misnamed, maybe should be called the story of the loving father. Jesus doesn't give it a title. He just tells the story. One title you could play with is the son of God in the far country. I think it's verse 13 of this chapter that says that that younger son, he took all that property, his inheritance, and he went off into a far country. And theologians have used that phrase, those who study Scripture, and this is not something you're that familiar with, so let me either remind some of you of it or tell some of you it for, for the first time. In Christian history, like the, parables are not allegory. It's not like one thing matches up to be exactly another, right? You can see yourself in various characters in this story. We hope to reflect the kind of love that the father shows here, but many times we are the younger son, right? And actually, most people in churches, you're actually closer to the older brother. That's the one we're wrestling with. So it's not to say this is the entirety of the truth of the story, but good Christian theologians have said there is a degree to which Jesus Christ is the younger son. Why? Because he went to a far country. He denied that which was his. Now, they are not saying he is the younger son in this rejection of the Father. Not at all. But if you think of how far that younger son went from the Father, the distance that Jesus Christ traveled from who he truly was to take on sin is much further. And if that image causes you offense, you need to do a little bit more thinking and praying and reading. He who knew no sin became sin. He went a lot further than that younger son did. But not to squander things for his own appetites, but rather to take on the sin of the world. How far did Jesus Christ go is the question. And the story helps you to understand some of this. You can see Jesus in the younger son... You can certainly see Jesus Christ in the Father, obviously. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father, Jesus says. The love of Jesus Christ is that same love as the Father in this story. You should struggle to see Jesus Christ in the older brother. And that's a tough thing for church people to come to terms with. I suppose there's a way, but I... Won't speak about it this morning. The younger son is what we want to look at this morning, and next week we'll look at the older brother. We don't have to go through all the details of the story, right? You guys know this story. Thanks be to God. This is a story that actually, though many people have no Christian narrative in our world, particularly the West Coast where we live, like no Christian narrative whatsoever. Remember I told you about, I have in my office from... um, Schloss Middersil in Austria, images of uh, the communion, bread and cup, that are that were in a chapel there, and I love them so much, I bought some reproductions of them, and then had them mounted in, their, in my office, and when I took them to, it's, it was a frame place that used to be right across the street from Lionsgate Hospital, I took them there, and the really great, capable, he's an artist too, this is what's the most interesting, but anyway, he said, what is this? It looks like a hunk of bread and a chalice. Why would you... Maybe he was just joking around with me. I don't know. I have to think that. How could you know art? With no kind of Christian narrative at all in our culture, this is a story that some people have still heard. And it's a story that is told over and over again in very many different ways. For those who've ever watched the show Kim's Convenience on CBC, the actual play Kim's Convenience is a little more dark or a little more heavy than just the comedy show, but it is a kind of retelling of the story of the prodigal son. In this case, with a father who's much more conflicted than this father. So you know the story. I don't have to go through all the details. You know because many Christian ministers have told you before, maybe with a more thundering voice, that son says to his dad, I wish you were dead. Right? You've heard those sermons. He does say that. Give me what is mine. And this is what you would get at the end of the father's life, not while he's living. And you've heard that it's astounding that the father would be willing to do this. This is a father that many of you would say, and I won't look around, you know, if that son was a son of mine. And you would judge this father for such extravagant, dangerous love. And maybe it wasn't love. Maybe you believe in something like tough love. I don't really. My Lord, Jesus loves. So the father does something that is terribly irresponsible, gives his, fa- gives his son the inheritance, the son goes off, and then this word that's a beautiful word, it's terrible what it means, but it's beautiful. He squanders. The text says he squanders property. But you have to listen deeper than that. Ask yourself what he's squandering in the story. Money, sure. His inheritance, sure. His youth, his ability, his strength. He's squandering, which means he's using these resources to serve only his appetite. But there's a a call for us to grow up in faith and how we listen to these stories. Because if you truly look at it, you realize what he's squandering is the love of the Father. The love of the father that was always there for him, but he's not interested in it at this point. He squanders the best of all gifts. And he gets to a place with those pigs, and he no longer hears the voice of his father. But we know from how the father welcomes him back that the father hasn't forgotten him, or disowned him, or been tough with him, or anything of the sort. The young man comes to his senses, and returns and he is welcomed and as the mumford and sons song says it's not the long walk home that will change this heart but the welcome i receive with the restart the son is changed not by his need and some kind of repentance though it's actually not repentance you see there it's just i don't have anything left i'll go back He has a rehearsal, a speech rehearsed, but he doesn't get to give it. Jesus tells this story in the context of an accusation that we spoke about last week. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, we have this accusation from Pharisees and scribes, like religious people, uh, that Jesus, he's, he's welcoming sinners and he's eating with them. And as you often get in the Gospels, Jesus knew their accusation. They may have said it out loud, but even when they didn't, He knew what was in their heart. You also are good at this too. When someone's accusing you in that kind of way, they don't need to use words. You can just look at their face. And these Pharisees and scribes are judging him for welcoming sinners. And in reaction to that, in response to that, he tells three stories, right? Lost coin, lost sheep, lost son, and this is the biggest one. We've said that our threads through the Lenten series are these four. Jesus takes our place as judge which is a grace because when we try to be judge over our lives and other people and this world we cause great damage to ourselves and others and it's a painful exercise. He takes the place of judge. He takes the place of sinners. He suffers and is crucified and he does all of these three things before God. A professor of Keith's at Bible School Uh, used to have a kind of a construction for how religious systems can work. And he's obviously thinking particularly of Christian religious systems. He says it's often believe, behave, belong. And some of you could be like, yeah, that's kind of how religious things seem to work. And he says, and we can think of it in light of the Prodigal Son story, the first word, and in some ways the only word, is belong know that you belong. God has loved you. Might you believe and change your behavior in response to that? Of course. But belong is first. So he takes our place as judge. Judgment in this story is turned on its head. The father breaks every norm of that society. And still, even today, all these years later, if if, If somebody just told you this and you didn't know it was the story of the prodigal son, it was just somebody in the community that loved their son like this or treated their son like this, very many of you, maybe me, I don't know, very many of us would say, what kind of dad would do that? Judgment is turned on its head in this story from beginning to end. And you have to ask yourself, in this story, who would you like to be the judge out of these three main characters? Would you like the older brother to be the judge? I sure hope not. See, when people like the older brother are the judge, the only people that get in are the older brother. And that's often what the world thinks about the church, that that's what we've said. Secondly, he takes our place as sinner. He took on our sin, and then hear this. Returned to the Father. Hear the prodigal in that? He took on the sin of all the world, and returned to the Father. This is not only what happens in the story. This is not only what can happen in particular historical context. The the Christian idea here is this is what has happened over all of history. Jesus Christ has left this throne. He who is before all history has become flesh. He has taken on the sin of the world and the Father has welcomed back His Son who has been battered by our sin. This image is a famous one. I think it's in Russia, but it's Rembrandt, famous Dutch painter. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Can you see it? It's actually, this is actually even lighter than, it's quite a dark painting, like just a lot of black, but that's the prodigal son who has returned, and the father caring for him, and and if you look at the son, one sandal is missing, the other is torn, his clothes are torn, his hair is shaved, which is a symbol of kind of um, humiliation, He's dirty, he's broken. Jesus Christ suffers and is crucified. Who dies in this story? The younger son faces a kind of death. The father certainly dies to his rights. Maybe just not the older brother. And what's curious is, and you'll see this over and over again in the Gospels, it's always the one who refuses to die who doesn't enter into eternal life. The love of the Father says, You are free to leave home. Where is the Son not loved by the Father? Where is He outside of the Father's love? There is not a place and there is not a time. Any thought that the Father doesn't love the Son is the Son's alone or he doesn't care. When is he outside of the father's love? There is no time and no place that this younger son ceases to be loved by the father. A commentary I was reading on this picks up a line that God speaks about Jesus, you know this? There's seen at the baptism at Jesus baptism that is In some way similar to transfiguration, there's a voice of God that comes. So it's kind of playing with those words, but putting them in this story. The father says to the son, you are my beloved son on whom my favor rests. And when the son tries to repent, the father cuts him off. Some of you have kids you could imagine this uh, like you can it's easier but those who don't can imagine this kind of thing as well. Child you love the one you love rejects your love hates you comes back and starts to say sorry sorry I'm so sorry and what do you do? Loving parent Stop. Stop talking. You're back. I love you. Don't let religious people tell you that the right thing to do is go through all the things they've done wrong. The Father's love is overwhelming. Can you imagine if we related to our world like this? where instead of thinking that the religious enterprise the idea see we've twisted the idea of what salt and light means as well when you read about salt and light and the actual like we did a couple of weeks ago when we talked about wives submit to your husbands and we didn't kind of the verse before which is in often another section in how we divide our scripture right it says submit to one another out of reverence for christ so you can't turn that other verse into one that is hierarchical In the same way, the idea of salt and light, we've taken to be often like moral enterprise, which is not what that text actually says. What those texts say is, in a world that doesn't understand the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, you are to be salt and light, pointing to something better than just good works. And even the reference to good works in there is secondary. Can you imagine if we related like this to the world with this love of a father, that instead of thinking, well, we have to help the world see how wrong they are, where we demonstrated a love that any time people expressed this desire for God, that what the church demonstrated was the love of the Father. Our evangelism has to mature. We have, for many years, even centuries, often spoken about evangelism in a way that's like if we can help people to see that they're sinners then they'll respond and then that's the route we've taken and it's been effective but it's not going to be effective in the next days and years His love is bigger than my leaving His love is bigger than my returning It was never about me my goodness or my sinfulness, it was always, always about his love. And it's not weak. And for those of you who have treated God's love as if it is weak, somehow God's judgment is strong and his love is weak, I invite you to grow up. Thinking judgment is strong and love is weak is childish. Kids act like that. His judgment is entirely contained within his love. This is his judgment. The cross. It was never about my acceptability or the prodigal's prepare your heart in Lent is not about somehow taking up spiritual disciplines and, you know, I'm not going to drink coffee for six weeks and I welcome you to give things away for Lent. It It can pique your attention to what Christ is doing. But it's not about you preparing yourself that you'll be better, that you'll be able to see. If I become more acceptable, then I'll be able to see. Instead, it is, do I want to know the love of the Father? What is Jesus Christ doing? He is, hear this, He is going into the far country and he is going further than you could ever imagine to the darkest places of your heart to the deepest sin your sin and the sin of those you love and some of that darkness is it seems like it's overwhelming. And he is going there and he is taking it onto himself and into himself and he will die over it but it will be defeated. Do You want to know the love of the Father. Listen to this story. We have a couple more things important to do this morning. Um, we're going to hear in a few minutes from Anne Kopp, who is going to Nepal on Tuesday morning. And we're going to pray for Anne. But I want to invite you to do an exercise. Um, Because of the events in our world this week, I know um, one of the local imams, Ken and I have had coffee with him a couple times, and he's a young guy um, I was going to say he's a young guy younger than me. Well, I'm not a young guy, so there you go. Um, and uh, runs a local mosque here. And I've put some blank little stock paper in your bulletins and there's pens that the ushers have if you don't have one, I'm going to invite you to do something. You don't have to do it, and if you're offended by this, just don't tell me. (laughs) Um, I'm going to invite you to write a message to the people who gather at that mosque. I don't want you to tell them anything that you have that they need. Just express your love. You know, you could, well, let me. Those are among the people who were killed. That one boy, that bright faced boy there, he's three. We haven't heard about all the kids killed yet three year old, four year old. Top corner there, he's 14. Looks like he could be here. And they were doing, I know they're a different religion but they were doing just what you're doing. And it means that somebody could walk in here if they hate us. And whose picture would I see on the news? Or would you? That man. I don't mean to accuse you or myself, though we should seek to repent, but any rhetoric that is hateful or treats the other as a negative, contributes to the kind of hate that can eventually lead to this type of behavior. So you should check yourself and think about how you talk about the other, whether the other means religious or, or ethnic or background. Like somehow the other is less worthy than you. These immigrants, these people who are coming here. That's just the base that leads sometimes some troubled minds to say we need to get rid of them. So, go before God and pray about that. How have you thought that even? I don't know how many of you have Muslim friends. (laughs) So, positively, Sorry, that was a bit negative, but still think we need to do it. Positively, you can do this beautiful thing. You can write a message. I've given some samples, but don't let me dictate it. Our prayers are with you. I'll be praying for you. You could simply write that and put your name, first name. Put your first name. I pray blessing and peace for you as you pray for those in New Zealand may you know peace and love not fear and hatred we pray for you as, as you gather after these recent hateful attacks this happened in New Zealand that might as well have been Canada and it has happened in Canada to smaller scale so there are people who are gathering who would gather to some degree thinking i wonder if this would happen to us so we're going to take a few minutes and do that and i'll call anna up in a few minutes to share with us, and then we'll pray for Anne. Let me pray. I'll pray for the offering as well, and so what you can do is, it'll be tougher for the people who, the offering comes first, so maybe just wait a little minute for the offering. Um, Take your slip of paper, if you filled it out, and please, you don't have to. If you think, what is Todd doing? This is not, then don't fill it out. (laughs) Uh, But if you do, then just put it in the offering bag with the offering. Let's pray. So, Lord God, we offer to you, it's actually quite a beautiful thing, I suppose, Lord, we offer to you not only the gifts that you've given us, asking that you would bless the work of this church and other churches, but we offer back to you this little exercise. We know that all of those people, every single one of those people, you love exactly the same amount as you love us, not a tiny bit less. Forgive us for how our own thoughts and sometimes speech can contribute to fear or misunderstanding. And help us to know that our Christian faith calls us to love. Bless this offering, the whole of it. In Jesus' name, amen.